Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan. Bears, 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 bears. Football, football, football. You know what? I'd like to say you're wrong, Molly, but you're not wrong very often. David Haw. That was one of the best questions you've ever asked. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to get an answer just as good. Chicago sports talk for your morning on 670 The Score, the home for Bears fans. And God bless Lovey. One last gift to the fine folks in Chicago. Guys, keep in mind. Go through this again. It's just a, it's a part of the process. The last time Lovey Smith won a game that meant this much to the Bears organization was the NFC Championship That's game. Right. Jay's our quarterback. That's right. And maybe he was fired because he won the game. I don't know. They have a Hail Mary pass that goes through a guy's hands and winds up a touchdown. They go for two, convert, and the Bears are number one. Lovey Smith had a decision that was no decision at all. You go for two. I think that he did so knowing he was going to get fired. I think that he might have been fired anyway. That cemented it. No, I don't need your help. All right, believe me, I don't need your help. Yeah. The Texans wanted to lose that football game. They did not want to lose their draft position. Lovey Smith, old school coach that he is, did the Bears a solid. Been in this position in a long, long time. Should be all good for Chicago Bear fans. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw, 5.30 till 10 a.m. Jay's our quarterback. Caleb Haney is our starting quarterback. On 670 The Score. Hi, you may know me as a former head coach of the Bears. I am the man that helped procure the number one pick in the draft. I would like to announce my candidacy for mayor of Chicago. Let's go. Mully and Hall, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 in the score. Man, it's still wild that the Bears won the race to the bottom. I mean, it's still kind of funny just hearing uh, uh, that kind of reflection yesterday. It, it hasn't faded away, David. It's still there. It's Morning, Molly. Yes, palpable. on this Tuesday, there's still uh, a lot mm-hmm. to uh, look forward to, and it has shaped the entire offseason, and we'll get a better, clearer picture of what to expect today at 1030 when Ryan Poles answers some questions and maybe drops some hints. Yeah, you Maybe. know, I I don't know that we'll get hints. Well, we'll be I, looking for him, right? Oh, we'll be picking yeah. it apart. I mean, there'll be a forensic study <laughs> on everything the man says. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. And, and, and I, I wonder his degree and level of enthusiasm and how he balances that as well because this is a great opportunity for Ryan Poles, young general manager, everything ahead of him in this offseason, and the pressure is on. No question the pressure is on, and he's got to make the right decision. And we saw one of the guys that the Bears will be uh, contemplating. We saw him play last night, and we all had a homework assignment. We were supposed to be studying him. I don't know if you could because things got pretty out of hand pretty quickly. Um, as, uh, As championship games go, that was a stinker. As championships games go, that was an exhibition. I I read a story. I read a story that this was TCU's big moment to prove that the little guy belongs and to kind of show to turn college football on its ear. Win a national champ. Never mind. I won't even finish. Well, the national championship game turned into the Georgia spring football game. You know, uh, thank you, Ohio State. Ohio State gave him a scare, and uh, Georgia was ready to play. <laughs> oh my I God. had a hard time understanding how TCU looked so sound, fundamentally tough, and in every way uh, a, a, like a team that belonged in the Final Four when they beat Michigan, and then yes. a week later can look as overmatched as they did against Georgia. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Georgia. That team looked like it could – you know, finish second in the uh, AFC South. Right. But it was one of those games that got away quickly and was never competitive, and it raised enough questions because of how lopsided it was. Do you really want a 12-team playoff? <laughs> well, I, I mean, honestly, I think I think that the TCU I, – I, you know, it's funny because I was talking to some people. I told you I was in Austin. There was a lot of college football yep. fan, fans I was talking to. And they were asking me about just – I apparently was representative of the Big Ten being from the Midwest, and they were asking me if I felt that Michigan didn't take them seriously. And I said, oh, yeah, there's no doubt that Michigan didn't take them seriously. 
and, and that you know they when they had the chance to take the lead, had they done that, maybe this would be a different universe we were living in. But but Michigan thought they'd won that game when they beat Ohio State, frankly. So I think that um, it wasn't a, a total stunner that that Michigan didn't bring its eight. I mean, you you thought you were better than them. I'm sure there was I, some overconfidence involved in that. And I think that Ohio State's scare of Georgia probably solved that issue. They came out. It was boys and men. I, I think that's part of it. But I also think that there was – Against Michigan, TCU was not controlled at the line of scrimmage to the extent they were last night. Right. That was obvious from the first series. Oh, my God. And the skill differential was was pretty clear as well. But what, where that game, the biggest difference was what is TCU doing here against a team like yes. that? They have NFL bodies on the defensive and offensive yes. lines. And the, everywhere you looked. And – Against Michigan, Michigan probably did to some degree take TCU lightly, and that contributed to it. They scored a ton of points. Jim Harbaugh didn't have his best day, but I felt like TCU, as much as they were gracious losers last night, have you ever seen a team get blown out, handle the postgame any more better than they did? But they just looked like a team that didn't belong there. No, as as good as Georgia there. was, yeah. TCU was that bad. I thought it was really interesting that Nick Saban was doing the pregame, and he said that they would have to score forty pl- points to be in the game. They were going to need that. Georgia was going to; those are high-scoring games when they played Georgia, and uh, the TCU was going to have to find a way. They finished with seven. They <laughs> like they weren't going to get ten, let alone forty. And 65 points, man. I, I mean, it was – that game was over very early, and uh, you could put that one to bed and, and just enjoy the uh, uh, the Bulls injuries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the you, Bull injury. Or you could dread those Bulls injuries. I'm sorry. But it, be, it became the, the Stetson Bennett, you know, show, and it, yeah. took, a, it, it took the second half to kind of give him – it was a tribute to Stetson Bennett and the Georgia program in the second half. Yes. They even gave the players, including Jalen Carter, at the end, Kirby Smart, uh, gave him a curtain call, gave him a, a chance to say goodbye right. by taking them out of the game like you see in a basketball game. Yeah. And it was, it was a coronation as much as it was anything. And now they have won back-to-back national championships. Yep. And Kirby Smart, and I said yesterday, kind of – and fun, but they have become the new Alabama. When yep. you go back-to-back like that, this is the standard by which other programs will be measured. And so congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs. They did everything conceivable, and it had a very Alabama beats, sorry, Dustin, Notre Dame vibe to it. It was like that lopsided on the national championship uh, Monday night. It, it was starting even- already, huh? It was even worse. Five thirty-eight. Oh boy! It wasn't meant for you. It was just that's well, what you apologized. You apologized. That's about what it. came yeah. to mind. I, I agree with you. I thought the same thing. It was, and and I, I was sitting. I, I sat, watched that game in the same chair. I watched. I watched the game against Notre Dame in Alabama. Well, I, the I best mean, part about it was sitting in the chair. But, yeah, yeah. I was going to say you. You either need a new chair or uh, or change the way you watch games because. This isn't working. Oh, I believe in that. I, I do. I believe in moving about the house. If yeah, the game's not going the way I hope it's going. I, 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 um, I believe if I'm like at a bar, I believe in moving to a different chair and watching a different TV. Like I, I really have always felt that you've got to, it's like being at a card table. You got to change your luck. You got to get up and walk around the chair, whatever it takes. Hmm. No? Yeah. I, I, I respect that. I, I, I know people who, uh, definitely do that. I don't think that my proximity to anything to a game that I'm watching on TV has to do has anything to do with the outcome of, that I'm watching. Yeah, I, I a lot of people know that that is fact, but I'm just oh, saying. I know for it's, some it, of us, if you've got a team, and I know Notre Dame has been Dustin's team for as long as I've known. I get it. it. Yeah, I, I know people that used to watch uh, yeah. Blackhawk playoff games that way. You know, in a certain spot yep. and Cub playoff games. Yeah, just. It, if you're a fan, you understand what you're talking about. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I can't explain it, but you understand. I have it. a I have a story related to that that I will share with you privately at some point. <laughs> it's not fit for radio. Um, <laughs> it's not, 
I don't want to be thought of in that fashion. But uh, yeah, no, you do get caught up in things. Um, so listen, it, it, you know, watching the Bears filter away from Hallis Hall yesterday was super interesting. A lot more interesting than I thought it would be because there were a couple of little moments where you were kind of like, huh, well, that's kind of interesting, right? Yes. I, I, I really felt like there was probably a little bit more information than maybe everybody wanted out. Well, I think the, that's a good observation. I had the same reaction, and it wasn't necessarily anything that – there are two things that stood out to me, and I, and I, I, I wonder yeah. if these are what stood out to you. Number one, Justin Fields did not go to the podium. He was at his locker, so he's surrounded by yes. 50 people or whatever. It wasn't the greatest vantage point. But one of the things that he said was that he was – 80% could have played, which leads you to believe, we'll talk about this during the pick six, Yeah, he, he wasn't as bad as maybe they projected him to be. Listen. And he could have played if he really, truly needed to play last Sunday. We know why, but he didn't. But the, the reality is, at the very least, at the very least, had it been a playoff week, you would not, you would not shut him down on whatever day it was. Was it Wednesday they shut him down? That There's no way that, you would have. Not on God's green earth. To sit there and say, well, if it was a playoff game, no, he couldn't have played. That is not accurate. Uh, we know with all the tomfoolery and the trickery and everything else, you wouldn't shut him down until the day before the game or a couple hours. You'd make it a game time decision. We saw them do that all year long. That was... That was a uh, you know suspended uh, disbelief with one uh, Matt Eberflus. The fact that he said that, and I I said that to you at the time. The guy had worked hard to create credibility through a horrible, incredible season, and uh, and then he kind of threw it all away, in my opinion, by saying the guy would have if it was a playoff game, it wouldn't have mattered. You would have made that decision at the last second whether he was playing or not if he wasn't going to go. If it was a playoff game, he clearly would have played. I agree. I, I don't it, think it, it's just comical. It was comical, and it defied logic, and it didn't. It didn't can help Matt Eberflus finish the season strong. I thought he had a tough final couple of weeks. It was awkward. You just wanted it to get over, but saying something like that did did uh, uh, make you remember that because Justin Fields sounded like a guy that number one wanted to play and could have had had it been important at all. 80%. The other thing was Justin Jones, uh, who's a very willing participant to these interviews. That was the big one to me. He got some wheels on him, man. Where's <laughs> <laughs> a run? But, you know, he, he gets a lot of flat because people say that he's not accurate. You know, I don't know if everybody knows he's one of the accurate, most accurate quarterback coming out in his draft class. Like, one of the most accurate. Through some crazy-ass passes in college, through some crazy-ass passes in the game. Like, he is an accurate quarterback. He's gifted in so many different ways. That's why he can score in so many different ways, which makes him even more dangerous than people even thought he was. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think once we uh, start getting some more pieces around him and everything and, you know, start, you know, actually building an actual scheme for him that, that can really showcase every athletic talent he has, every ability he has, it's going to be real, real dangerous out here. Yeah, I, I think that what really stood out to me wasn't just his observation on Justin Fields. I think what stood out to me was the fact that he felt that um, that there was some grievances that had to be aired with the coaching well, that's, staff. That's and the he word that he used. About the communication yeah. issue. Yeah, and I, I think that did stand out. And I think when he talks about uh, the communication with the coaches and going through tough stuff and uses the word grievances, it makes you wonder about the culture that they have been talking about all along. And I think that when you have a veteran like that be as honest as he was and as candid as he was at his locker, it does make you wonder if um, if it was as positive and encouraging as it has been sort of projected by the coaching staff. Yeah, I, I mean, God, he flat out said that there were, there were players that did not know, uh, that hadn't been explained what the situation was. That they were on one-year deals and they didn't know what they were up to. This is what he said, quote, there's a lot of things we've got to correct as a team. A lot of players were able to address some of their grievances and issues they had throughout the season and everything. Yeah. I, I, 
I was stunned by that. I that, thought that was huge for the coaching staff to hear some constructive criticism from players and vice versa. We we should talk about that. I think that was pretty uh, pretty interesting information, and it certainly, you know, it's not often that you come to these end of the year of ten game losing streak at the end of the year, and you have to list some grievances. Why are you listing grievances? Because we kind of, well, the, this is not a good team. They don't have good players. And then it turns out <laughs> oh, the coaches are talking to us. They haven't explained what they want. I, I thought that was a very interesting well, comment from the player himself. Let's look at the, the arc of the season. They begin the year, and everybody's optimistic. Yes. You beat San Francisco, <laughs> and deal. all of a sudden you get, off, you get off to a more competitive start than many people expected. And in that locker room, there had to be even a sense of optimism or belief that was stronger than than outside the locker room in the city where people were debating whether or not that was a good or bad thing, right? If you're a guy like Justin Jones and you're part of that and then you get to seven games in, Robert Quinn is traded. Roquan Smith is traded. As a, as a teammate, as a player. That changed a lot. Don't you start to think, what's going on here? Yes. What happened to that? team that we thought we were going to shock the world the first seven games. Right. So when he alludes to this at the end of the season after a 10-game losing streak, when everybody sort of has forgotten about the way it started, absolutely, that's got to be what he's referring to. It has to be. And so what do you do with that if you are the coaching staff, if you're the front office? Are you re- find it refreshing that you have a veteran that cares that much? Or are you like, hey, man. Keep it down. Well, I, I got killing tell our you. vibe here. Well, I would imagine that if you're the general manager and if you're the coaches, you don't want that out there. You don't want anybody talking about the fact that that you guys that you didn't explain openly tell everyone what exactly was going on, and instead we went through all those weeks of complaining about how particularly awful the defensive line was and and et cetera, et cetera. I, I mean, that's pretty unbelievable. It really is, and it did, it, it did make you wonder about was this an isolated case of a veteran who's been pretty outspoken? I don't want to see, even say outspoken. That, that kind of leaves the wrong impression about Justin Jones. He's been a pretty, pretty good veteran this year, pretty vocal. Right. And – so at the end of the year, it makes perfect sense for him to leave the way in this manner by saying something that is, you know, candid. And he was very candid. I just don't know that that, that candor was appreciated probably at every level of Hell's Hall. Yeah, it, it, it uh, it's pretty forthright of him to come out and say that, especially, frankly, I mean, he may believe that his position, you know, he may believe that he's the best of that group. But the belief outside that group, outside that team, is that they need a lot more and they need to make sure that a guy like him is, you know, I think he should come back. Yes. But I think that he should not be a featured player. I think that he can help. I don't think he's worthless, but I think that they need to replace certain starters, and he's one of them. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that when you look at Justin Jones and he's got one year left on his contract, so are comments like this a risk for him? Not really. Uh, maybe. Uh, it's all, you're never guaranteed anything in the NFL. But your point is, is a strong one because it's much like I look at it with Jack Sanborn as an example. Jack Sanborn could be a starter. If he's your best player, as we have said all along, your defense is going to be limited. If Justin Jones is your best defensive lineman, you're going to get run all over. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're going to need better life. than that. Yeah. No, and that doesn't mean that he can't be a part. I mean, he's the, a piece. the defensive line is a rotation. You need groups and you need, you know, pieces. And you can't have just one. It's not like you have – a, a designated starting group in the same way you do at other positions. It, you attack in waves with defensive linemen, and you want a lot of them. It, it, like the one we saw last night playing for Georgia, number 88, well, Jalen Carter. Yeah. We'll get to him later. But but big picture-wise, Molly, I think what, you're, what you heard is what I heard, and, and I think the takeaway is what or the question is for me, was there a disconnect between the players and the coaches? As you might expect, they're a 10-game losing streak and a 14-loss season. Had to be. 
And Justin Fields alluded to it because if he was 80%, he could have played. That's not what Matt Eberflus said. And Justin Jones revealing maybe there was a bit of it more of a canyon between the players and the coaching staff than was ever projected by the coaching staff. You said bit more of a canyon. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if you that got that. A, that is a pretty big uh, gap. Yes, there you go. go. No, canyon's okay. pretty accurate. It's wide. What the guy had it's to wide. say. But yeah. Yeah. Gre- it's grievance is a strong word. Grievances. That's uh, that's players not that's, happy. That's about. players' association stuff. That is that is really interesting. It's Seinfeld episode. That's the airing yeah, of airing grievances. Of, yeah. Happy Festivus, everyone. Yeah, it's exactly what I I laughed at that. But <laughs> but man, I I was surprised at his candor, uh, and I think the again same thing with the quarterback. They they probably were unhappy that he even talked. And he did kind of, well, you know, the trainers had limited. That, that whole thing just looked bad. I, and it, they obviously, were, they were in a race to the, to the last spot. No one's going to complain about it. They got the number one overall pick as they intended. Uh, they did not want Justin Fields out there uh, setting rushing records and, and messing up. They the, wanted him healthy. The loss. They wanted him healthy. They wanted the loss. They wanted to draft they number one or a, number number two at at the very right. lowest. So I think when Ryan Poles goes to the podium today, yes, there are three things in 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 this context of what we just talked about. Number one, his reaction to getting the number one overall pick. Yep. Number two, where do you stand with your quarterback in terms of your commitment and belief in Justin Fields? And number right. three, what are these grievances that Justin Jones is talking well, about? I, what about that culture? I think that is, you know, the, the, people love to talk about culture, and we created the culture, and the culture is there. You lost ten consecutive games. It's not a good culture. So that's a losing culture. Yeah, when, I, when you stack up losses in that fashion, I'm kind of bummed. I'm not going to be able to be up there. I I, I always like going to those, just yeah, because you can tell fun. the context and the tension in the room, and right. you never know when you're going to get uh, an answer you don't expect. And like an innocent question about <laughs> how a couple guys met. Yeah, exactly, like last year. You meet through your yeah. agent. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. The pregnant pause, the shared glance. It's the, awesome the timing stuff. just didn't work out this year, but I'm looking forward to hearing how Ryan Poles handles it because he is the man on the spot starting now, actually starting yesterday. He is on the clock as much as anybody in that building. Yeah, yeah. It, it's going to be interesting. And and I think, you know, we'll get into all this stuff. The fact that, that, that not one but two teams have put uh, – uh, Ian Cunningham on their shopping list is very interesting to me. So we can get into that, too. There's a ton going on. We're going to talk about all of it. We've got all the stories of the day, and we'll do that with the pick six next. It's Mully and Haw Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. It's pick six with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick six with Mully and Haw starts now. What did you think of Justin Fields saying his hip was 80% on Sunday? I could have... I mean, I don't know if I would have played my best game. Yeah. So Actually, it really went up to me. So I think the trainers, they didn't want me playing. So, yeah, I just couldn't be out there. I could be out there, he said. The question stands, would Fields have played if it were a playoff game? Oh, God, yes. I mean, that's absurd. You don't, you don't rule a guy out early in the week. Um, the coach says... On Sunday, he's definitely playing. Uh, on Monday, well, we'll see what happens. And then all of a sudden, oh, the trainers, he came in complaining on Monday with a hip, and the trainers say he can't play. I mean, you know, again, the guy had like three things wrong with him, right? He's got a separated shoulder. Uh, he was checked for a concussion during that game, and uh, and he had a, a hip. And, and the hip is the injury that you could claim is week to week, and there's no kind of – there's no concussion on his uh, resume. There's no interesting information about the shoulder he hurt earlier in the year and was playing through. I think it's um, – if you were actually in a playoff game, you do not announce on Wednesday that your quarterback's out. So you would have waited till the last second with that if he couldn't play. And guess what? If he if they were in the playoffs, of course he'd have played. He's their, he's their star. He'd have played going away. Not even close. 
They rested him. They sat him down because they wanted to get the draft pick. God bless him. But it does cut at the credibility of the coach when he stands up there and gives you a bald-faced lie. Uh, and that's all that was. You drop your pants. You get the alcohol. They give you a shot. You put a Band-Aid on it. You go out and play. That's Brian Erlacher from Real Sports. Okay, that, that That's what would have happened. Justin Fields would have dropped his drawers, got a shot of Toradol in the hip, pulled his jock strap up. Like Joe Newton says, shirts in, jocks tight, socks tall. And he had gone out there and he had played football. Let's hope that that's uh, an option for the Bears next year. I know you guys yesterday don't think it is. I think maybe it is. But let's hope that maybe they can sneak in as the seventh seed in the NFC next year, sort of like the Lions almost did. Well, I don't know that I objected to the prediction as much as the timing of it. You don't know who they're going to sign or draft, so I'm not going to sit here and be able to predict how many victories they have. I, I hope that you're right because, let's face it, it would be a lot more fun to cover a team that wins nine games and competes for a playoff spot than this historically bad group that just lost 14 games in a year. Now, as for Justin Fields, I, I applaud his honesty. He, he said he's 80%. If you have a NFL player who's at 80% in early January on the verge of a playoff berth, there's no doubt he's going to be on the field, especially if he is a leader of this team, and he unquestionably is. He said some other things, but that was interesting. And as I said, Matt Eberflus did not have a good last couple weeks to this season from in terms of credibility. On the field, it's very difficult to evaluate him. So we evaluate him based on what he says because we already have decided his team isn't any good, so we're, we kind of give him a pass. Losing 14 right. games, you don't count it against him. But from a, from a credibility standpoint, what Justin Fields said yesterday did do a lot to help Matt Eberflus's. That's a tough question. The Titans have requested permission to interview Bears assistant GM Ian Cunningham for their GM position. Given Ryan Poles stated reliance on Cunningham and Cunningham's pass with the Eagles and the Ravens, how big of a loss would that be? I think that uh, it's hard to tell that. The Cardinals are also interested, according to CBS Sports, the Titans and right. the Cardinals. They are going to interview Ian Cunningham. He is well-respected around the league. That's why... He is Ryan Poles' right-hand man. I don't know where Poles ends and Cunningham begins. It's kind of a Jed Theo thing, a Rick and Kenny thing. It's interesting. They've only been here a year. They are they lived together, weren't they? Weren't they like uh, roommates? And that was going to be a reality show and something on ChicagoBears.com. It's difficult to say. Here's the one thing. You hope that his career continues to go in the right direction. It would be better, let's face it, it would be better for the Bears if this were a reality next year. Because if he were to leave after two years on the job, then because of the diversity program at the NFL and the rules that exist, the Bears would get a compensatory third-round draft pick if somebody is there right. two years and moves on to a better job, a general manager's job. So uh, good luck to him if he leaves. I don't know if they will miss him or not. I'm certainly I, Ryan Poles will, but um, it's hard to know just how much impact he's had. Well, assuming these two guys can stay together, David, based on your answer, I think we'd have to hope that this pairing is more like Jed and Theo and less like Kenny and Rick, right? I mean, we, we'd, if we'd want it to Both to won. No, they didn't. What? How did Kenny and well, Rick not win? Well, Rick Rick was what? The assistant, right? I I'm mean, just saying. That they, won a, they won a they're World a duo. Series, buddy. They conspired. They have a championship ring to, sh to prove it. I think it's a little bit different, but okay. Uh, anyway. <laughs> If Ian Cunningham was what? I mean, okay, he'd be missed. Move on. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I thought this. I thought this part of the show was for like to have an opinion. You could have an opinion. Who? Exactly. What? What just happened? Did he answer? No, I. But I. But I. You don't. You don't see it as much as the Sox comparison as the Cubs well, the Sox, comparison. The Sox. The Sox. Re, of recent memory. Okay. Okay. Recent memory haven't been as good as we had all hoped they would be. So I'm hoping that either either of the Cubs, but the Cubs won it more recently than and Theo is still held in a very high standard. I mean, people are saying like he's the guy now that's supposedly going to take baseball to the next level, like make it more enjoyable for the, the younger generation. He's got the ideas. Uh, listen, Ian Cunningham's former jobs with the Eagles and the Ravens is, I think, what made him attractive to Ryan Poles when he got the job. Yep. I would think, though, right now, at this point, 
they've done so much collaborating that this year it probably wouldn't have a massive impact. But how would polls replace him if he was to move on? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Ian Cunningham does in his interview process and, and if uh, if he is indeed going to be offered one of these jobs. Um, I would suspect that if he were, it would be because of what's going on with the Eagles. The Eagles have turned a corner, and anybody connected to that is going to be looked at uh, closely by the NFL. That That has been really good. They've done a really good job of building that team and putting themselves into the number one seed in the NFC uh, that a lot of people didn't uh, expect to happen. So I would think that uh, that Howie Roseman is uh, is a, a very popular guy and he's already locked into his job. So you start looking at some of his assistants and Ian Cunningham would get recognition for the work he did before he got to Chicago. I don't know that anything the Bears have done would really um, be something that anybody wants a piece of. Maybe down the road, maybe if indeed they uh, get into the rebuild portion of the program, but it's going to be difficult to uh, to see that happen right away. Uh, it, there's just a lot of work to be done, and then um, you would hope that, that Ian Cunningham will uh, will attract the attention he deserves, and, and if he does, it means he's done a good job in Chicago as well. But I think this is still sort of um, a payoff for his previous work, not the work that he's doing right now. But it's good to have people that are highly thought of in the NFL. Well, that's a really interesting question. That's Brad Biggs. He'll be with the guys at 7 o'clock. What did you make of Justin Jones saying players use their exit interviews on Monday to complain about a lack of communication? Apparently, some players felt frustrated and ill-informed making it a better place for a lot more players to, you know, speak what's on their mind. You know, like if, you know, if a player doesn't agree with some of the things that we're doing, you know, I think it should be a, a, a open space for you to, you know, let them air it out and say, like, hey, you know, I don't understand why we're doing this. And, you know, you should be able to explain, like, hey, like, this is why we're doing this. This is why your job is so important. I thought that was huge, you know, for the coaches that have to hear us and, you know, to start criticizing from the players and vice versa, you know. Reaction to Justin Jones' honesty? Well, I, I thought it was really interesting that uh, that apparently there were players that wanted to address their grievances and there were players that uh, felt the need to give constructive criticism. Um, you know, you it's very interesting because we have sort of looked at the front seven in particular and said, what, three, two guys back? Like, how many guys do you really want back from that group? Um but there were apparently players brought in without a clear or concise message as to exactly what was expected of them. And that's an issue. That is a, you know, you don't usually hear anything like that out of, uh, out of these exit interviews. You usually, it's more, you know, well, I'm going to work in the off season. I'm going to try to do this and that. There's not usually that kind of upset connected to it. Grievances, the very fact that, that you have guys complaining or a guy complaining and speaking on behalf of other players is very insightful as to what was going on with this group. And, you know, it's real easy to just dismiss it and say that it's one guy, but he is apparently speaking on behalf of a number of uh, players. And that means that they've been talking amongst themselves and aren't too happy with everything that was kind of laid out for them. So... Fascinating to me, very interesting, and and maybe a little chink in the armor. Dustin, I, I I'm flabbergasted by this. I, I can't believe that he's being that honest in that situation. I mean, I, I think one of the top needs for the Bears right now is the position that Justin Jones plays, right? So, like, why would a guy like that? kind of flamethrow. I mean, this this is, like, trust me, the Bears are aware that he made these comments. And he was voted a captain after Roquan left, I believe, right? He was given. So I, I guess that's what captains are supposed to do. They, they, they're supposed to speak on the team's behalf. I wonder if this is more of a defensive thing than an offensive thing. It, it, it needs a follow-up is what it needs. It, they need to address it. You can't cling to the culture of a 3-14 and 14 season and then dismiss a comment like this. This also should be welcomed. 
This should be the tone that they take when asked about it. This is what leadership is. It's about accountability, holding players accountable publicly and privately. If Justin Jones wants to say that, it did stand out because it's so rare. You don't see guys saying this on their way out during the season, especially a guy with one year left on his contract who could be deemed expendable. You don't talk about wanting to uh, air your grievances to coaching staff and some of the things about constructive criticism. It sounds like after the trades during uh, the season of Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith, things got away from the Bears internally, perhaps. It's understandable. Do you want somebody to be this public about it? Probably not. But now that he has, you've got to figure out a way to make it sound like it's it's a, it's a, a productive thing. You want players to hold others accountable. You want them to be honest about it. You don't want them to be disingenuous. And Justin Jones was being honest, maybe to his detriment, but I'm glad that he was because now I think it's an obvious question that must be addressed today. He He said there's a lot of things we've got to correct as a team. He didn't say, boy, the culture is fantastic, and look at the way we lost. Right. We did it with great class. There's an issue going on, man, and and you need to know it. I, I'm glad he aired it out. That's going to be a question for you okay. guys. Okay. There he is, Coach Dave Wanstead, 745, right here with Mully and Hall. What will you remember most from the college football national championship game? Did your opinion of any potential Bears draft picks change Monday night? Any big takeaways for college football? Well, I can't believe it was that big of a blowout. That was like the Georgia spring game, and TCU just didn't show up. Georgia dominated in every facet. It was over uh, by the third series, and it was the Stetson, ben, Stetson uh, Bennett concert. It was one of those things that you look at his career and what was able to accomplish, and he became a college football legend last night. And so you give him credit to uh, – to him and he's a great story the walk on the juco back to georgia and and now he's uh what is he almost pushing 30 but he's he's older than five of the quarterbacks in the playoffs this weekend that's crazy as for jalen carter he was blowing up double teams he was chasing down running backs at the sidelines he was doing a little bit of everything jalen carter physically the bears aren't going to evaluate any player that's any more impressive than him so he he did live up to the billing, and he was worth watching that game. Uh, as for college football, what happened last night, I dread it could happen two or three times if you have a 12-game playoff like they're going to have in several years. Well, first of all, the game was awful, unless I guess you bet on Georgia or you went to Georgia. The game really was terrible. At halftime, I, I went over to the Bulls completely, and I never turned it back on, to be honest with you, until after the Bulls game was complete. Um you know, we told you number 88, Jalen Carter. You know, he finished the box score doesn't jump out at you. You know, two tackles, they were both solo tackles. But as David said, guy was blowing things up. If you DVR'd it, which I did, I'd like to go back today or tomorrow and actually watch all the defensive snaps again. Um, he's a big guy, his feet are really good. I think Pro Football Focus has him the highest rated defensive lineman since they've, they've been in business. Like, he's got the best rating on a guy that they've ever had. Um, there were some offensive linemen for Georgia, too, that looked really, really good. I don't know who exactly they were going up against. I think that TCU defense is a little uh, smallish compared to what happens on the NFL side. But I'm guessing that there's going to be a lot of Georgia Bulldogs drafted in the upcoming draft. And the Bears could do worse than, you know, drafting a guy from Georgia. Yeah, the, the thing I'll remember most from the college football national championship game is just how utterly lopsided it was and how TCU did not belong there. They just didn't belong on the same field with that team. It was that big a blowout. And I think that's bad for college football. Um, I, I think that Alabama would have given uh, Georgia a much better game. Um, I think that, um, that Ohio State did give them a much better game before they bowed out. And I think that um, it will make me look back on that. I, I think you're right. I think that... You know, we're going to want to get these kind of upstart. It, it hurts. It hurts teams like TCU in the future. I don't think it's going to help them. I think it's going to make people look at it and say, oh, God, let's get this one over with. I, I just, it's unfortunate. They beat Michigan. It makes you wonder if, uh, if Michigan was wholeheartedly in that game, if they were looking past them, if they 
basically had beaten Ohio State at Ohio State and thought they won the national championship. Makes you wonder about Jim Harbaugh. Uh, you know, how how was your team not ready? Um, you know, it seemed like TCU was sky high in that game, but I was surprised when I was in Austin, Texas over the weekend how many people thought TCU was going to be able to compete with Georgia, and I just, I, I said, well, it's a different level. I, I just, I had no faith in them. And to see it that played out like that, and I think that if, if – uh, if Georgia hadn't gotten that shock against, uh, 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 maybe they wouldn't have been ready. Maybe they would have taken advantage of it. They still would have won because they're twice as good a team and twice the size, and they were throwing guys around like crazy. Did you see the one penalty earlier on the offensive lineman, the kid who transferred in from from Air Force or wherever? He just picked that kid up and threw him for fun. I, I, it was it was boys and men. Yeah, it's a great question. It- that is Mike Florio. He'll be here at 844. How about Jim Harbaugh reportedly scheduled the interview with the Broncos and with Jim Ursay's wish list for the Colts? Harbaugh has said he expects to be enthusiastically coaching Michigan in 2023. Is he trying to get a hefty long-term deal with Michigan, or is he jumping to the NFL? I, I got to tell you, you know, he, he, by all accounts, called David Tepper or his representative did or somebody did he had a conversation about the Carolina job that wasn't them calling him. It was him reaching out to them. And now you look and and you you follow where he's he's going to interview with the Denver Broncos. He's on the wish list in Indianapolis. Does he want to be in college football? Last year, he was in Minnesota on National Signing Day. And, you know, obviously he had a pretty good year, and he seemed to be having fun throughout the course of the year right up to the point where he didn't against TCU. But – I, I don't know what's going on with Jim Harbaugh. I don't know if he – if I was a Michigan fan, God, I'd be miffed about this, the idea that he's shopping for a job. Maybe he want, Maybe he's looking at, uh, at what's going on in Michigan State. He's wondering why he's not getting more funds and why he isn't getting uh, uh, everything that he wants. Maybe that's all this is. But, man, it's a bad look. It's two years running, and I would be very tired of it if I were a Michigan fan. It's pretty ugly. Well, Molly, I could not agree with you more. I'm not a Michigan fan. I'm not a Jim Harbaugh fan. But if I were, I would be. I'd be really uh, upset about the whole thing. Now, you just mentioned Michigan State, and so Mel Tucker is the ninth highest paid head coach in college football at nine point five million. So I understand that if you're talking about fair, and we all know that life's not fair, Jim Harbaugh should be making more money than Mel Tucker because of the job Michigan you guys have said and I agree with you Michigan is one of the premier jobs in all of coaching and all of sports I mean if you if you talked about like a top 25 job in all of sports regardless of college and pro Michigan football probably hits that top 25 and the coach should be paid accordingly but he he gave money back during the pandemic you think he would get that money back now he he I'm, you know he got you know he hit bonuses for winning the Big Ten, getting to the national semifinal. Probably missed a bonus because he didn't get to the national championship game. But this, I mean, all this flirting. I, I mean, listen, people would leave other jobs in the NFL and in college football to get the Michigan job. I don't think I don't think Harbaugh is irreplaceable for Michigan football. But he is the best guy for the job. He is the best guy for the job, and I think he knows that. And he may have a desire to go back to the NFL. It sure seems like it. And so he's exploring this. He has the leverage. He just beat Ohio State. I know he got beaten in the in the college football playoff, which didn't reflect well on him because he had a bad day. But he's probably taking advantage of the leverage he may have. He also may be sick of college football. You talk to some people, and mm-hmm. it's just like he's tired of the – the complexity, the NIL, the the transfer portal, the kinds of things that it can drive college coaches out of the game or toward the NFL. It's very frustrating to deal with. Um, so he, he may have initiated that conversation with Carolina. He may welcome the interest from the Broncos. He may want to win a Super Bowl. And so if that is indeed what his desire is, we talk about Kevin Warren and him being more comfortable in the pro sports environment than the college sports environment at the Big Ten commissioner level. 
Maybe Jim Harbaugh is, is ready for that challenge again. Maybe he considers the NFL and winning a Super Bowl the pinnacle. So that may be more realistic for him. Uh, I do think he's trying to get back, and, and if the Denver Broncos can figure out a way to do that, maybe he goes to the, maybe he goes to Denver. This will be a pick six. There's your ball game. The Bulls hit the halfway point of the season last night against the Celtics. After the loss, they now are 19 and 22 overall. What word best describes the first half of the season? And if you were to guess, do you think the big three will be together by the end of the season? Never thought the Bulls would be below 500 at the midway point of the year. They are somewhere between, okay, you have to pick one word. They're confounding. They're also disappointing. And one's related to the other. I do think the big three will be here at the end of the year. I don't think they're going to make a big trade deadline deal to blow things up unless things deteriorate quickly. The DeMar DeRozan injury last night is a concern. You wonder if he can play through it as he has in the past, as he said he is likely to do. You just don't know at this stage of his career. Every time you get something like this that he's had before, it's not it's not the same as before because he obviously is aging. So you wonder about his health moving forward. You wonder about the Bulls being up and down. They can look like a team that is as good as any in the East when they beat the Bucks or they go uh, they have that record against the top three teams. And then you know, they can they can disappear defensively, which is where they're challenged the most. And it's a buy-in thing. So I think they're up, they're down, they're going to be back and forth. Inconsistent, confounding, and disappointing. This is three words, sorry. Frustrating. And I do not think the big three will be together by the end of the season. DeMar's on his way somewhere else. Well, I, there was a huge trade in the NBA yesterday, so it's probably not the Lakers, right? They have... Uh, Traded away a lot of stuff, and uh, where did uh, Russ wind up in uh, San Antonio, I believe, right? And there was a Bulls second-round pick involved in that deal, among the many things that were being shopped around. Uh, I think San Antonio had a Bulls uh, second-round pick that they included. Um, I, I suppose if I was looking for a word, I would say erratic. It's been a very erratic uh, opening part of the season, first half of the season. Um they need they need Zach Levine to stabilize, and maybe that's happening. Maybe he's talked about feeling better as the year has gone on and not being able to train before uh, after the surgery and before the season began and and how bad he felt in some of these back to backs if um if DeMar DeRozan is down for a while, that is really disastrous for the bulls. Um, I saw Kevin Durant. Oh my! Uh, hurt, hurt his knee, right? A month. And he's going to yeah. be missing a month. So, so that is pretty bad for uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, these sort of injuries, they gang up on teams. Um, I, I hate to even ask anything about who could be playing point guard because I know that's off limits and we shouldn't even mention it. But I don't think that guy's coming back <laughs> either anytime soon, right? Um, I, I I don't know why, but I think they're going to have a hard time uh, just trading guys. So I don't think that the big three will stick around, but I'm not sure where they're going and who's going where. You know what I mean? I think it's a lot more difficult than it was uh, at the end of the year than it is right now. It's difficult to trade those players, but those contracts. Yes. And it happens in the NBA more often in other sports when you see big contracts moved. But there's a complexity that is involved that you wonder if it's worth the hassle. That's the problem, is that you get rid of the deal, but you don't get... <laughs> right. You, but you also get rid of the... Play, you know what I mean? You just don't get better by getting rid of the deal. So I think that's one of the issues... I keep waiting for them to, to hit some button or for something to change, and it better happen quick. Uh, and now that DeMar DeRozan is out with a, with a uh, what was it, a quad injury, he apparently felt it for eight days before it went yesterday. Not good. Not remotely good. All right, we've got the, uh, the extra point next. It's Mully and Haw on the score. Set up this extra point. It's time for the extra point with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. With Detroit and Indianapolis turning down the NFL as potential neutral sites for the AFC Championship game if it involves the Chiefs and Bills, why not Soldier Field in Chicago? Wouldn't that be ideal for two outdoor teams in late January? Would you go? I think it makes perfect sense. 
where else would the Bills and the Chiefs be, be, be what better venue than two teams that typically play outdoors? There'd be no advantage, no disadvantage for any team used to playing in a dome. Buffalo has been as mobile as any team in the NFL. They have been through so much, as we talked about yesterday. They just they've, they've become America's team, and they they could handle any kind of adversity, any kind of road trip. And the Chiefs, the Chief, that that Patrick Mahomes, how torturous would that be to see Patrick Mahomes clinch a berth to the Super Bowl in Chicago? It, it's a perfect venue. It's a perfect uh, opportunity. I don't know why Indianapolis and Detroit. Um, turned down the NFL with buildings that were ready-made for a game like that, but they did. I think Indianapolis has a volleyball tournament or something like that in town. They are the amateur capital of America, but the Bears could offer Soldier Field, and the NFL could go there. It would make a lot of sense. On the way into the stadium on Sunday, I ran into our buddy Tim LaFever, and one of the things the general manager of Soldier Field didn't ask him about this, but one of the things he was proud to talk about was the condition of the turf, and at the end of the season – there have been very few complaints, if any, from players. There have been very few incidents, and it has looked like a, a field that has stood up throughout the, the winter, and they did it differently this year. Remember, they went to Carolina, the Carolina green or the grass down there, and it seems to have worked. So I would think that by the end of January, it would still be in good shape. This is an idea worth exploring. Yeah, I mean, I would think Lori Lightfoot would be on the phone, right? She said that Soldier Field is a – destination it's a place that can host sporting events people want to come to the city it'd be good for the city and to answer if it was at soldier field i i, I would want to go why wouldn't you want to go to that game it'd be a fun game fun game to go see in person um the other field that i've heard pines field i've heard is a possibility as well for, because of the outdoor circumstances um Okay, I mean, I, it sounds like the one of the biggest issues in India is the is hotel rooms. They've already you know thirty thousand parents and high school volleyball players, and they've got like eight thousand of like the the prime rooms are gone. So, can the um, the new Soldier Field that I saw in video narrated by Bill Curtis can that be built before this game? That would be perfect. We could get that thing done. You could get uh, well. Probably take a little longer than that, but um, yeah, I, I mean, listen, I would love to see it at Soldier Field. I would totally want to go to that game. I think it'd be totally um, cool to to see a playoff game at Soldier Field. Um, it is ideal given the fact that both teams are outdoor teams, and uh, and it, it would be nice and cold and chilly. And man, would that be fun to see the scoring festival that that thing would be. Um, and whoever has the ball last wins. That would be tons of fun. Um, I think it's interesting that Detroit and Indy have turned it down because obviously the dome element uh, is is Minnesota still going to be alive in the playoffs. Is that why you can't go up there? You can't plan that, right? Yeah, but I mean the the very fact that they're looking at domes would indicate that uh, that they probably want to ensure that the conditions aren't going to impact game and we don't know what the weather would be like in Chicago at that point um you know hopefully just cold and not snowy but it's uh it's a difficult one to predict so you think in Atlanta so I'm thinking that that probably would make more That'd sense so boring it would be boring because you want the elements to contribute if they I agree. are able to I agree but <laughs> I think that unfortunately the very fact that they're looking at domes would indicate that they're looking for something that would be easier for them to, to kind of. And Atlanta's got a lot of, uh, it's got a lot of of uh, hotel rooms, etc. I think you can pull it off. So these two teams would have to meet for this to be a consideration, right? Yes. Because of the right. nature of the cancellation and, and the seating. So I wonder when you look at the Chiefs, when you look at the Bills. Would a team have an advantage by going indoors? I would think off the top of my head that the Chiefs would benefit from playing in controlled environment because they are such an exact, precise offense. They have the, the players that you would think would benefit from, from having a, you know, 72 degrees in, in, inside. So the Bills might want an outdoor venue more than the Chiefs would. I think the Bills would want Detroit because they've spent so much time there this year. <laughs> Didn't they have two games? But they also there? did win here. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, they did. You That's know, true. They've had success yeah. in that building Handily. at Soldier Field yeah. very easily. Yeah. They didn't even have to break a sweat on a very, very cold day. But like, I would, I would love to have a surprise playoff game in Chicago, and I would totally be interested in going to it. I, wouldn't you? I mean, I think playoff football in Chicago. Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah, I can barely I, remember. I, I'm not even sure. But yeah, I, I want I. I just want to fascinate myself more by watching that video a couple more times. That, that was so much well, fun. Well, the, the cost of that, what was it, $2.2 billion yeah. is the initial price tag. Unbelievably priced, but that was very slick in the way they put it together. Yep. It makes you want that to happen if you could just find some way to pay for it that doesn't include the public having to, you know, yes. See their tax, the tax bill increase. Pay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the problem. That's the whole How up. realistic is it? Um, not realistic okay. at all. What do you think? I I have my doubts, but I want somebody to figure it out for me. I want somebody to try to say, Here's well, the problem with it. let's Let, do this. Let's say you go ahead and do that, and the Bears open their own building anyway. What do you do then? You know, if you if you don't have them locked in, uh, what is the NFL rule? 75-mile radius, uh, the Bears could control it. That means that you couldn't bring another team in. Unless they were willing to pay a ton of money. I would think it would be excessive in terms of an expense if the Bears moved to Arlington Heights and you built a $2.2 billion indoor facility anyway on the lakefront where Soldier Field currently is. <laughs> I think that would be highly excessive and unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, I, unnecessary is the word. Okay. Yeah. 312-644-6767. We'll get to your calls and uh, – we got a big show planned for you. We're going to have some fun today. It's Molly and Hall on the score. Yeah, it's, it's an open door policy, but you know you have to kind of you got to kind of like reassure players that it's, it's still available. You know, when you're going through a tough season and stuff like that, you know, players tend to look at themselves like, you know, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. And with that being said, you kind of have to reiterate that, hey, my door is always open if you want to talk, and reiterate like, hey. Like, you know, if things aren't going the way you planned. I know it looks kind of bad right now, but if you really need to understand, like, where you stand, like, come come and talk to me. And really really make it just that. Like, don't make it seem like, oh, you know, it's a punishment or anything to come into the office or anything. But, like, really say, like, hey, like, it's tough right now. You know, you can come talk to me and just hash out like that. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. That is the voice of Justin Jones talking about what, happened uh in the bears particularly i guess the defensive line how uh that perception was that there was not communication uh we know that he talked about the idea that uh that there were a lot of players on that defensive line that um didn't know um what was expected of them you heard that there that uh it felt like a chore to uh, to be able to talk to someone about that, and um, it's very interesting. It, it's not often that you hear that sort of thing, but Justin Jones is letting you know that the exit interviews on on Monday uh, there was some complaints about the lack of communication, about the lack of certainty as as to what was expected of uh, of different players and. Um, you know they got they had a lot of guys kind of on one year deals and guys that didn't know what the future would hold. Justin Jones, of course, was uh, you know was a a signing that happened quickly after Larry Ogunjobi. He was uh, he was his Plan physical. B. Yes, he was Plan yes. B after Larry Ogunjobi did not pass his physical. Mm-hmm. Justin Jones emerged as a guy that was pretty vocal and a veteran on a group that. Needed leadership, and I guess he provided it. This is a, this is a good glimpse into what was really happening, maybe in the locker room. It could not have been easy to endure a ten-game losing streak and to lose fourteen games in a season that started fairly promising. The Bears were competitive, but what he did yesterday, I think, was uh, be honest and candid about about the lack of communication that bothered him. Uh, talked about the players having an open line of communication after the season in their exit interviews, and that's healthy. That's how you get better. What does it do for him moving forward? Well, Justin Jones has no guarantees for next year, I don't think. But he did play specifically two different positions at the end. For him, he has worked his way. He probably will be part of this team moving forward. You don't know how big of a part he will be. I don't think this ultimately will have any effect on his status, but it does does merit – a follow-up question today, and, and you want to know, 
and you want to hear from Ryan Poles in light of what Justin Jones said about this breakdown in communication, how do you cling to this idea that the culture is so good because you can't dismiss a comment like that if you do? Yeah, and I I think that, uh, you know, we often get that, you know, kind of, uh, oh, the culture's been created. And, and I'm not saying that they haven't done a good job uh, with some of the stuff they've done, but clearly, you know, you're you're talking here about a, a unit that failed, right? The the defensive line did not produce enough. It didn't produce enough sacks. It didn't produce enough pressure. Ultimately, that if you're looking back on the season, that's one of the areas where you want to improve <laughs> quickly and and uh, dramatically. And and we talked about watching the uh, uh, the the national championship game last night with a. Uh, with an eye toward looking at Jalen Carter because he's one of the guys uh, that that would be uh, someone you'd you'd want to see. And we heard Matt Eberflus say, uh, whatever it was, a week or two before the end of the season, that uh, that it's really important that position, the three technique position, is the engine that makes the defense go. And you know, he talked about how uh, crucial that position is in his defense. I think we all knew that going in, and they um, they certainly didn't get enough out of that position. Jalen Carter showed last night, if you watched the game again, if you taped it like Dustin did, and you watched the way that he overpowered double teams, you watched the way that he chased down running backs near the sideline on the perimeter, you look at his athleticism, and this is a guy that even they have lined up at fullback throughout earlier this year as a blocking back, a la Refrigerator Perry. This is somebody who would come to the Bears with a unique skill set, the kind of explosive athleticism that you want in the middle of your defense. I, w- I would not advocate them picking him with the first overall selection because I think that you can trade down and get multiple selections. But, Molly, after watching him last night, allow me some recency bias. If you do trade with the Colts, for instance, and you're sitting there at four and Jalen Carter is on the board, you would be thrilled. You would be thrilled to have him in your building. You got to check him out. You want to weigh him against Will Anderson, mm-hmm. the other defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. But nothing you saw last night would make you think anything and, or feel anything but excitement about the possibility of Jalen Carter wearing a Bears uniform. Yeah, I, I think um, I think he's a he's a fine player, and I you know as we've talked about, the need for help uh, on the defensive line is pronounced, and you know, and I don't know, uh, uh, David, if you know Will Anderson is is got uh, you know really good credentials and is very highly thought of. And I'm not even sure how the Bears would measure those two against each other. I'm not sure what it is that you're looking for that another team's looking for and how how that would change from one to the other. I think when you have guys like that, either either of those guys, they could play in any defense. You're right. No doubt about it. It comes down to personal preference. It comes down to the impression maybe they make during their individual meetings. Yeah. There are some things about Will Anderson with intangibles that might – uh, be more impressive than Jalen Carter's. Uh, but I, I think that's just speculation. That's just based on what you see in early scouting reports. And they talk about uh, Will Anderson's presence in the locker room and his leadership qualities. You don't, you don't hear that as often or as emphatically about Jalen Carter. That said, both of those guys are going to make, I think, instant impacts on whatever NFL defense they join. I'm just looking through the list of guys um, on the Bears' defensive line. So, you know, um, I I saw Travis Gibson said that he wants to, you know, he's got some ideas on how he's going to train in the offseason, how he's going to improve. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you feel about him. I'm not sure if if he's a guy that has a bright future right now. I think that Travis Gibson, he'll be back. Dominic Robinson, these are players that are role players. These are players yeah. that are situational pass rushers. I think Travis Gibson this year, um, it, when you look at the overall body of work, you're, you're, I think you're a little disappointed. Yeah, You're expecting him to take a step that he didn't take. 
Right. Dominic Robinson started strong, but I don't think that he did much more than uh, be exposed but, but, and show you how far he has to go. But he, you can, you can keep those guys. Yeah, I, I don't. I, depth what I'm pieces. Saying, to me, Dominic Robinson is a lock for next year's roster. Yeah. Number one, he's a draft pick of this group. So they took him, and they saw something, and they're always going to see that. Number two, he was a project player, and he did okay. He did okay for himself. So I think that he is, without question, a guy who's coming back to this team. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't know, you know, I don't know about some of these guys, right? I think, uh, I think Justin Jones is coming back. Is Armand Watts coming back? Is Angelo Blackson coming back? Is Mike Pennell uh, Jr. coming back? Is Muhammad Al-Qadan uh, coming back? I just think that there's a lot of names and a lot of guys. I don't know how many of them you're building a team around. I think when you said goodbye at your exit interviews, again, a lot of these questions would be answered based on the contractual realities. But without looking at them, if you're just looking at the tape, you're during the exit interviews, nobody was guaranteed anything. Yeah. How can you give anybody assurance that everything is fine when he had a defense that was as bad as the Bears' defense was. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't rush the passer. Their front seven, everybody in that front seven shouldn't feel any sense of security. Yeah, There's not anybody that emerged as, okay, well, you know what? You're safe. Maybe Jack Sanborn. Really, the guy who was injured and couldn't finish the season probably has locked up a roster spot or an ability to compete for a starting job next year in preseason. I don't know if anybody else really is somebody that you wouldn't automatically replace or try to replace in the offseason. 312-644-6767. We'll be getting to your calls in a little bit. It's Biggs time next. We're going to run this stuff by Brad Biggs, who's the keepers on the defensive line, and uh, and and if he was choosing between Will Anderson and Jalen Carter, do you go with a guy that, uh, you know, Anderson – could be I, a, another coming of Micah Parsons, right? I, I, I am not arguing with that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, but the morning yeah. after Georgia dominated TCU, yeah, I, I I'm I'm maybe just fifty one forty nine Jalen Carter. Okay, all right. We'll run it by Big Z. See what he thinks. We'll do that next. Molly and Hall on the score.